It's July 3rd. It's the PFF forecast. Finally, finally live in Cincinnati. Well, not live, but you get the idea. We've got Mina Kimes on today. That's all we're going to have. It's going to be awesome. Let's rock. We don't need much of an intro because Mina was fantastic. She was super generous with her time. Um, but it's good to see you in the flesh, man. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, uh, <laughs> that way, I get that a lot. <laughs> I, it's it's uh, you know it, it's a breath of fresh air. If you're uh, if you're listening, we hopefully sound better. If you're watching, it looks a lot better. Um, I wish I could look like this all the time. But uh, yeah, so we've got Mina Kimes. We're going to talk Jamal Adams trade. She has some really good stuff to talk about there obviously we get into russell wilson versus patrick mahomes um we talk cowboys and packers and she stands up for dan orlowski oh you were gonna bury it okay well we talked dan orlowski too no food so if you want to listen to food podcasts go back to last week the last seven okay. <laughs> all right here we go mina kimes from espn all right, joining us now, uh, last time we talked was actually at the Super Bowl, which feels like a really long time ago. So it's been like five years since we've talked to Mina Kimes. She's survived. She is now the, um, what is your title? Because I was gonna, I was used to saying the Daily. <laughs> then I turned on NFL Live today. You weren't on there yet either. I, you're on Around mm. the Horn. What, what do we call you now? My title's NFL Analyst, um, and I will be on NFL Live starting mid-August, but then I also have a NFL podcast called The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny. I don't think, let's see, PFF, I, I can't, it has to be PFF first name. PFF Sam has been on <laughs> twice, I think, and wow. then PFF Steve has been on once. Wow. What, can you give them a grade real quick? Um, I'll give Steve like a 79 Okay. And Sam, I'll go 82. Just because, you know, twice also. So. Career highs for both. Higher sample size. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he did me a solid coming on twice. All right, that, that's way higher than I expected. I was looking at mid-60s. Yeah. But um, I, I really have to ask you this to start off. Uh, we're asking everyone this. Um, in fact, to just enter the office now, you have to answer this question. Uh, it's very simple. Are you rooting for coronavirus or football? Um, I am rooting for football because it would be, uh, I don't know if you guys heard the part where I'm on NFL Live and an NFL analyst, but tough scene for your girl if there's no football. Um, but I agree with, I want to quote, him correctly i don't have it in front of me our our beloved well i'm making an assumption i assume you guys love kyle shanahan as yes. your shanna stands mm -hmm. right okay shanna fans shanna stands he just had an excellent quote where he said um we don't get football if we don't handle coronavirus and and that i think uh echoes my own feelings about the matter no i think that's you know anytime you give it you, you can't give an inch to coronavirus otherwise you have to give up all of football nina that's the rule <laughs> them's the rules yeah, I, yeah. It's it's weird though cuz I mean I've heard so many different um rationales for how people that work in football could root against 
um, football and for for coronavirus, and a lot of them are are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder though, like the, do you think there's any there's any truth to some people are being a little more pessimistic than they should be? I think that the sentiment. I think I used the word sentiment twice now, but the feeling that some people are quote unquote rooting against sports is more a judgment of tone than anything, because obviously nobody is saying, yes, I, I am all in on COVID. Um, but there, I think people log on to Twitter and they're immediately greeted with a stream of cancel the season, cancel the season. Or when you tweet something like I'll tweet, I previewed the AFC North this week with Aaron Schatz. You know, well, let's see, can the Bengals bounce back or whatever? And, and the replies are like, there's not even going to be a season. And I think people see that and they don't like it. And you know what? I get that. I, I find that kind of boring and frustrating sometimes to see that same feeling that doesn't really move the ball forward or provide value. Um, what I do think is valuable is realistic assessments of not only the pandemic, but how it actually impacts the game and how the game can happen safely. And I think being realistic and telling the truth is not the same thing as being a quote-unquote pessimist and it's important to differentiate between those two things well i think it's so hard too because i think like you know you know seahawks twitter of which you're a member you know basically (laughs) the you know the lead member you know there's a difference between you are wanting the seahawks to win games because you're a fan and accurately assessing what their issues are so you could say like look if the seahawks run on first and second down every single possession they're not going to win any games that doesn't mean you're not rooting for them that just means you're trying to like lay out a a situation that's where it's going to be suboptimal and the hard part is when we're trying to analyze things like sports and life we want to be right and so i think there is some like people are like trying to dunk on the covid deniers while still wanting football but that's a tough like tone to to have and you know and i think that you know all of us are reasonable and realize that our livelihoods depend upon the game to a large extent but it it is a difficult thing to to look at a truthful optimist a truthful optimist. that's that's the tone that i hit just perfectly at all times right (laughs) you say that's right (laughs) what wow i I, you just mentioned wait you tweeted at me one of my favorite tweets ever right with the speaking of optimism the one about play action action. was that you oh yeah that was 2020 yeah it was great (laughs) I almost shed a tear that, oh gosh, I wish I had it in front of me. I, I, 2020 is probably going to have to settle for being a flea flicker at this point. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. What, so you tweeted out a picture of Russell Wilson going to hand the ball off, but he hadn't handed it off yet, right? And so my, yes. my response was, the way I see it, 2020 could still be a play action pass. Which honestly is beautiful. And I know podcast listeners, there's nothing you love more than us recounting our own tweets and laughing at them. But I truly did like that one. Well, speaking of things that um, we would do if we didn't have football, Eric, you're right. I would, I was just thinking about what the hell I would do. I would try to pivot this to a food podcast. That would be our only hope. You're, so you're going to fire me. No, no, no. It's going to be me and you <laughs> eating. The, the funny part of it is going to be that it's going to be me trying to convince you that certain things are worth your time. Yeah. And you're going to think I'm a, an insane it's person. Gonna, Eric discovers food. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it could be a guest as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. That Happily. sounds fun. Yeah, as long as we don't, don't eat in Cincinnati. <laughs> uh, this was, so I did actually want to ask, though, um, the quarantine thing. What has been your quarantine guilty pleasure 
so far? Do you have one? Um, not food, although uh, I, my husband's gotten really into cooking, but not me. But I definitely have dipped deep into the Netflix bad show archives. Mm. I just finished Indian Matchmaker, which wow. I actually kind of recommend. Um, so that's one. The other one, I would say, I, people who follow me on social know I really love crosswords, but I def I used to be like a solid, maybe, you know, one crossword a day kind of person. Uh, and I'm, again, with the archives, I'm like in 2016 now with the New York Times wow. archives. Because I only like to do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so I can't do it every day on top of that. A little humble brag there. And so I'm like on Thursday, June 2017. And I just, I'm, I'm, I'm relentless. I can't stop doing crosswords. That's very different than my guilty pleasures. Wow. Now I feel terrible. I was going to talk about mine. I can't, I can't anymore. I'm so embarrassed. What is it? Uh, food and liquor. <laughs> George, George has become a bit of a lush during the quarantine. No, oh, I, mean, I went through the, like the first few months of quarantine where like one day I was like, did I just drink like a half a bottle of wine every night? Like I just, you know, it's like when you're in an airport. Right, and the normal rules of food and drink suddenly no longer apply. It's like yeah, you're yeah, in, yeah. you know, Navy territory or whatever, yes. and you're just like, my body's not counting any of this. That's kind of <laughs> how quarantine felt at first to me. I thought I was going to get so many books read, and I'm so embarrassed at how like unproficient I've been at reading books. Like, that surprised I, me because you're because I normally do, but yeah. the problem is, is mm. when you have free time, you don't prioritize nearly as well. As when you have to like, or when, you know, you're riding, you know, in an Uber or something, you'll read a book. Like I didn't take an Uber for four straight months. When you ride in an Uber, you read a book. Yeah. I'm not afraid of the driver the way you are. That sounds like something that no one does. Instantly throw up. (laughs) That's right. So you two are kindred spirits. I would die. I would be dead on the road. Um, The way I see it, I, I spent my quarantine pushing the economy forward, supporting small restaurants Doing your part. And liquor stores that are small businesses. Okay. That was the uh, (laughs) non-football part of the podcast. Um, I want to talk about the the Seahawks a little bit because of the Jamal Adams trade. And I just think, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people have had some um, interesting ways of capitulating how you might discern the trade before it was offered and then after. So if you're the GM of the Seahawks and you have that trade on the table, are you making it? No, which might surprise people who saw me kind of defend it or have heard me defend it because I do think it's defensible. I want to say that. And I think sometimes when people of our ilk analyze uh, trades and personnel decisions, we tend to overvalue draft picks. I, I truly believe that, especially in this current moment, which we could talk about. Um, and undervalue things like context and timeline, right? Um, and all of those things are really are truly relevant to this particular trade, especially if you're comparing it to the Mac trade, you know, the Jalen Ramsey trade, which are kind of the comps. Um, but I, I don't think the value makes sense for Seattle. It's defensible, but I wouldn't do it. But then again, in this multiverse where i'm gm of the seahawks i have also retained earl thomas and richard sherman and uh um and also i've, I've made uh, russell wilson pass the ball a lot more so we didn't need him but yeah no i would not do it 
guys are Super Bowl favorites in this universe. Are you saying you would want to be GM of the Seahawks? <laughs> what do you mean? No, Mina. I was just, would she want to be GM of the Seahawks? I mean, she has the tattoo of was it, which Super Bowl is it again? You didn't get uh, it's forty-eight. Not, it's not 48, the one. Yeah. It's not the one they lost. That would have been funny. We've gone. We've gone. Uh, full steam ahead on making fun of Steve and Sam on this show. So I would say I'd rather have Mina, the GM of the Seahawks, than Steve, the GM of the Jets. Ooh, I don't know. One would be mm. really funny, though. Yeah. <laughs> but Jets fans have been through so much. That's true. So you said defensible. Mm-hmm. What, what, what does that mean? If you're breaking it down, like, percentage-wise, like, what is it defensible? <laughs> like, is it defensible if it's 60-40? Is it defensible if it's, I don't know, 70-30? Like, where's the line it's, there? Well, it depends on what your priorities are, how you're yeah. weighing short-term success versus long-term team building, right? Clearly, this is a short-term success-motivated move. Um, and I think caring about short-term success, again, you're creating, like, multiple uh, variables here. We're introducing matters more if you have a team that's good and and. By the way, reasonable minds can disagree about how good Seattle is, given you know all the statistics suggesting that they're going to regress, uh, and that you have one of the two, in my opinion, best quarterbacks in the NFL. I think that when you have a quarterback like that, it does change the calculus for a lot of your other personnel decisions uh, in the same way that the Chiefs have done a lot of things over the last two or three years that, you know, absent Patrick Mahomes probably wouldn't look great quite frankly, including draft decisions, although the CEH thing suddenly worked on their favor. You think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire isn't leading them to the Super Bowl? Come on. I I wish I could bet uh, all of my money on Clyde, Clyde, you know, just completely shredding this year. But in any case, I think having an elite quarterback does change the calculus for some of your decision-making. That's all. Hmm. I also think it is important, again, there's the context of that, and there's the context of, okay, well, what is this defense? Who is this player? I, sometimes we again talk about these guys like in a vacuum like he's mm-hmm. any player plays any position and it's like no we're talking about a specific guy who's going to play a specific role in a defense where maybe the value is different from where it would be on another team I, and well, i know it sounds like i'm rationalizing but i just think sometimes these are things that we forget when we look at traits well, well, i said i wouldn't think, do it i also think linebacker is a necessity for that scheme so yeah. so many I think, linebackers. I think ruin looks differently for the seahawks than it does for any other team true because if if everything goes poorly this trade you know everything around they're still going to come out of it russell wilson in his like right. mid-30s and that's still going to be a team that's like worth having mm-hmm. and in fact if it goes poorly you might see changes at head coach and subsequently offensive like there might be optimal things there as far as like changing you know what they can do to help themselves win when it's another team you know like chicago ruin for chicago means naggy's gone pace gone they have to start over at quarterback all the stuff they did on that mm. defense doesn't matter at all yeah. and, and ruins a lot worse for them so i get that the context surrounding the seahawks and the chiefs when they traded for frank clark which i don't think was a great trade but obviously you know they went a super bowl yeah. thereafter like ruin looks differently for different teams and so right. maybe we're not seeing the time scale of it yeah I, I mean, the point that I just keep thinking about is the one that you make, which is when we talked about the Mac trade, which was, look, if you if your quarterback is bad, 
right? And for Mitchell Trubisky, the chance that he's bad was yeah. high. For Russell Wilson, the chance that he's Mitchell Trubisky is zero. Yeah. So the you have a team that's baseline. I mean, what's the baseline for the Seahawks? Eight and eight, nine and seven, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Eight and a half wins, maybe. If Jamal Adams is complete failure, it means they're going from ten and six to eight and eight. Right. And right? That's, or, or the situation thereof. Is, or or last season where they you know pull a few things out of their ass and all of a sudden they're you know yeah. com- competing for the the division. There's, but but going from that eighth ninth to their 10th, 11th win is so much more valuable yeah. than your 5th to your 6th. Right. It's the difference between 10 wins and 11 wins versus the difference between 5 wins and 6 wins. It's just, he adds the same value to the team, but you're talking about a very different football team. I think that we talked about the Mac and Ramsey trades. I think other trades you kind of throw into this conversation are the Amari Cooper trade, which I did not like when it mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. But again, context, it unlocked Dak Prescott, Okay, which is something I did not grasp at the time and i think in retrospect totally justifiable by the way um or like the minka fitzpatrick trade which i I still don't think was justifiable based on like what what that team where that pick should have ended up and i think they got pretty fortunate in a lot of ways but now i think the steelers are a super bowl contender okay and i think he again fills that kind of jamal adams type role where he could be the that player i i think he that secondary by the way which is you know a lot of b plus guys he was sort of a force multiplier so Teams matter when you look at trades. That's all I, I'm saying. Force multiplier, great phrase. I, um, I can't believe that. I, the the trick, the tricky phrase. part with the Minka thing was the the if everything went poorly, that was the fifth right. pick in the draft. Exactly. You know, whereas That's I don't why think in any way is the Jamal Adams draft yeah. picks becoming the fifth overall pick, which is which is tricky. But but you're right. I mean, and now one of the things we're trying to do is say, okay, what does Tyron Matthew do? What does Jamal Adams do? What does Minka, to your to your point, taking guys who are not very good, making them average, mm. and taking players like Steven Nelson who are okay and making them one of the more valuable mm-hmm. corners in the league because there's this extra thing. Because when we look at salaries for quarterbacks, Wilson's the one guy mm. where – He's in a top level player, and then you can add lower lower paid wide receivers or, or high, you know draft picks, bad offensive linemen, and when you take the war that those groups generate, Wilson elevates that entire group into the top five right. in terms of war per right. dollar spent. Can that happen on defense? I don't think a defensive end can do that. I don't think a linebacker can do that, but I do think a player like a safety maybe that can do all those different things and patch up cornerback deficiencies and other safety deficiencies and linebacker deficiencies yeah. might possibly be well, worth it. Well, you bring up a good point, right? It's like you, um, the article that you uh, wrote, which I probably bring up every other podcast about the fragility of defense. And mm-hmm. if you're saying, okay, look, a defense needs, you, you need to be, you can't have this one disaster somewhere, right? But, how much what type of player best patches up those you know potential disasters and you make a really good point which is tyron matthew jamal adams they're not an outside corner who's only going to sit in that role they're a guy where you can say hey this is where i need you this week or this is where i need you this year on this team because it can put Mm -hmm. this corner who might be a disaster in the slot you know, in, in you know, in his position where Kendall he can, Fuller got hurt for the Chiefs, where he can win. Matthew goes and plays in the nickel for the last half of the season, yeah. right? And then it's you know, Daniel Sorensen goes from a terrible player to a guy who kind of fits in now. And it, and and I think the same thing's true. You look at Jamal Adams, Brian Poole is like a below replacement player for the Falcons. He My goes guy. he goes to the Jets <laughs> and he's fine. You know, and yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, you you said the, the same thing about the contracts. Steelers. You know, I I think there's something to be said for the notion that versatility might 
be in terms of you know back sevens might be i don't want to say an underrated you know when we're again when we're looking at these trades and the ability of a versatile player to unlock other parts of your defense um like if you replace jamal adams name with derwin james's name i think people suddenly look at this a little bit differently um but all of this of course is predicated on the idea that but take Harrison Smith if in Minnesota. The Seahawks had Derwin James. I, I would the be Seahawks, on the floor. Like dead. I think, I think last Dude, season I probably moved around better than Xavier Rhodes. <laughs> at, that you know, Derwin on the J- field. and like there, Mackenzie Alexander was hurt off and on. Yeah, hold and on, Terrence Newman was forty years old playing corner for them for years, and they're a number one defense because Harrison Smith can kind of do everything. That safety position next to him, Anthony Harris is a good player. I don't think he's a ninety-five out of a hundred player though, right? Like. Yeah, that that's, that's a, you know th- those types of players are kind of like difference makers, especially today. Yeah, I don't you know the last five years. And but I was just about to say about Derwin James when the Bucks passed on him and took what Vivea right was that draft? Mm-hmm. I was yep. screaming Seattle yeah. trade up. We I was like trade out trade because they were at eighteen I, I think yep. that year and then. Okay, it was so not to be. How was, crazy was, was so that the Tampa so traded I'll, back from seven where Derwin know, was mocked I, the whole time yes. to I know. 12, okay. and then they donk that pick still. So I'm sitting oh there. We're in, we're in this new studio now. We were in the other side of the building, this old place. It was Eric and I's first time in Cincinnati, and we got thrown on this draft show. And the first or second pick I think that I showed up for was the Niners, and I'm unapologetic about my Niners fandom. I'm truthful and optimistic. And... Uh, when Derwin is available, I'm basically doing cartwheels. I'm like, I, I just, I can't believe how excited I am. And they take McGlinchey, and my normal reaction would be to mm. curse for ten straight minutes. But I'm, it's my first time like, in the for office. A Ninety straight seconds. So. <laughs> yes, I held, I held it, it together. Okay. But it's, it's honestly similar to, it's kind of like basketball, right? When you have, we've moved towards having players that are multifaceted right it's like these small ball lineups like what's great about that well all of these guys can shoot dribble and pass well if all my defenders can cover tackle and rush the passer like and can cover in multiple areas you know they're not just an outside corner not just a slot guy they're not just a safety which Mm. adam certainly is then you're harder to game plan for and when you bring in a guy that's you know average you can put him in the position where he's best uh, you know, you don't have so, to put him. So in this brings need. up a good question for you, Mina. The Seahawks <laughs> are they the third best team in the league? Because oh, okay. I can make a case. No, there's such a clear top four to me yeah. in the NFL. Which I had chats on, like I said, and he—they've actually got the Steelers above the Niners. Which I, so I for my football show we do division previews, and it's you know it's an opportunity to go depth chart to depth chart and kind of revisit mm-hmm. every teams. And I could not. Uh, imagine putting San Francisco outside the top four. And by the way, I think this trade by Seattle is a bet that they think San Francisco is due for some regression. And you can mm-hmm. see that case. I think the fact that they had a shit ton of injuries last year and still persisted makes the opposite case. But I imagine that secondary is a little bit worse. But um, I think it's so clearly you've, there's just such a clear upper class with um, you know the Chiefs and Ravens, and then of course. Um, on the other side with New Orleans and San Francisco. I don't see Seattle. I don't see Indianapolis, Tampa Bay, Dallas, Tennessee, Buffalo, who I see in that next tier. I don't see any of them hmm. penetrating that. Pittsburgh, by the way, as well. I mean, the only thing that I that I really like about Seattle relative to the other teams, the NFC, is I don't – I see regression certainly from an outcome standpoint, but the, from the fundamentals – 
Like real Wilson's right. still going to be pretty damn good. Okay, but Whereas riddle Breeze, me this. Riddle me this. Jamal Adams on the other side. They now have this Legion of Boom 2.0. You know what that? Yeah. You know what that opens up? The run game. Oh jeez. I mean, this is the. Me. If Seattle, if that offense was normal. Yes, they would clearly be a top three team. Like I'm, I'm basing this judgment based on the tendencies of the last right. two. You know, I, I mean, I, and we don't know how they're going to use Adams. By the way, I know we were just talking about how exciting and versatile he is, but he's actually a bit of a black box for Pete Carroll, who's not. Um, you know, I saw when the trade happened, people were comparing him to Cam Chancellor. I see that obviously the physicality and the tendencies, yeah. but one, the Seahawks play significantly less cover three now, so we'll see that they might change. That might change, even though. Um, Adams has been good in coverage, right, on, in split safeties. But we don't know if he's going to rush the passer. We don't know if he's going to move him around. We don't know. They said today that they think they'll have um, Marquise Blair playing nickel a little bit and try to get mm-hmm. everyone on the field, which is going to be a very delightful thing to th- see as a Seahawks fan after last season. Um, but we just don't it, – it, it's kind of a question mark at the moment. Yeah, what? I mean, you just look at that division, though. You know, Arizona – probably got better but it's it's probably. one of those teams probably. that's it's one of those teams though that's like those teams break Speaking out of wide receivers that unlock a quarterback yeah yeah but those teams those teams are oh we're always a year ahead of those teams right like yeah their win total still seven and a half and then you look at i think the rams are going to be a the rams could be a four win team this year i i think sorry what? And it's probably because you're not calling their preseason game Mina. but then well she's she's now commentating for the uh coronavirus uh, fighters or whatever. Sure, sure. <laughs> and then the Niners, but you look at the you look at the Niners and they you know they lose Buckner, they yeah. lose, they get some regression in the secondary, most likely. <laughs> the offensive line, like you don't know how Trent Williams is going to come in and, and replace it's Staley. Be amazing. The wide yeah. receiver position, you lose Sanders and Samuel for the first you know half the yeah, season. Jalen Sorry, yeah, thanks. And and they do get Mostert back, so that helps. <laughs> um, but you could get some regression out of Jimmy G. I, 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 thought, like, I agree with you. I think the Adams trade is kind of a we don't think Jimmy G's that good yeah. type of guy, you know, type of move, which I kind of agree with, um, you know, from a team building standpoint. I, I'm curious. So you mentioned um, Wilson and, and Mahomes. We had this debate a little while ago. If you were tiering quarterbacks, would you put them both in the same tier? Or like me, would you put Mahomes in tier one and Wilson in tier two? Um, Bo- with both the caveat themselves. that I think – Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. I want to put that out there for anyone starts bitching. I'm only being a homer. Damn it. I would, I would put them in the same tier because I think there are the two quarterbacks in the NFL that can elevate anything. And I don't think that's true of another quarterback in this league. And I'd say that as someone who thinks Lamar Jackson is a gift from the gods, Deshaun Watson brings me more joy than perhaps any football player in the last 10 years, uh, not in Seattle, but um, those two guys have a very they're team proof in a way that and i think that is you can define a tier as being team proof it's so crazy when you look at wins above replacement generated per salary spent on qb wide receiver tight end and o-line baltimore Hmm. rookie court you know jackson on his rookie deal kansas city mahomes on his rookie deal seattle yeah, the only with, one that actually with pays Wilson being paid thirty five million APY, yeah. would it's would he we, can overcome literally anything, as you said. So here's a, another one: if you switched Wilson and Mahomes, and Wilson is playing with Andy Reid, are we is this are we flipping the script? Is it you know? Look, I, I have to put Mahomes in there because I think he can do it. But you know, Wilson has just been so otherworldly. I 
I think that there's a very good chance that he could produce how Mahomes does. But we also are – the hard part is is Wilson so far into his career – that I do, I think right now it's more even than it would be if we if you sort of staggered the times and oh, Mahomes in your whatever sure. year yeah. Wilson's in. Um, I think that's fair. But but currently, yeah. yeah. I mean, Andy Reid's a genius. He's amazing. They won seventy percent of his games with Alex Smith. That's what I'm saying. That's my point, right? So if you take Alex Smith and you put him on the Seahawks, I have a hard time imagining. No, it's the two. It was called the 2014 Chiefs when they had no <laughs> yeah. wide receiver touchdowns and they went yeah. nine and seven. I don't know, man. Like, I, that's the point. Once they got Tyreek Hill, right? Alex Smith was really good statistically as Alex Smith. Okay? Hey, that's you what know, makes football so fun. Is that it's really hard to untangle these things. Um, Mina, non-Seahawks question. The team uh, or player or coach or whatever it is that you're most excited to watch this season and why? I was – if you had asked me this, like, I guess two weeks ago, I might have said the Patriots just from a football standpoint. I really, and I'm still excited to see Cam Newton in that offense, right? Um, But with every opt out in New England, I just, that team, you know, has, I don't think it's overreacting to say they've plummeted um, in my rankings, I suppose. So I was, I'm also excited to watch the Colts. Uh, who I am, hmm. I think, higher on than a lot of people. Interesting. Uh, and I'm I'm high on a Philip Rivers comeback season in that clear, offense. Clear well. favorites, in your opinion, in that division? No, not clear favorites. I think okay. it's pretty close between them okay. and Tennessee. Um, Field Yates, we uh, did came on my pod to preview the the South, and I thought he really put it well when he said, "We need to see if Tennessee can do it again, and if Indianapolis can do it at all." And I think I'm betting on the Indianapolis side of those things hmm. based on number, especially with Tennessee, some of the stuff. But I think they're pretty close. Um, Do you give Houston any go... shot at plus 350 no. in that division? No? Okay. That team is – I mean, I think Hater. that offense could be fun if, you know, <laughs> Will Fuller is healthy, right? But um, <laughs> it's, a two, it's two players, man. That team's two players. Watson and Watt. It's like... I thought you were going to say David Johnson, but – no. No, but don't, it, there's something to Bill O'Brien being a, a better coach than he is GM. But yeah. now He's that the hay is in the barn, decent coach yeah. and human. Um, but that that defense is ugly. And they were brutal ugly. last yeah, year. Not good. I wonder if just by pure regression they can get better. <laughs> um, Johnson I'm, can't be worse. Oh God! From a just a sheer like kind of football standpoint, I'm really interested in Cleveland this season not hmm. and that doesn't mean i'm high on cleveland yeah. um i think they've got some variance to them and i think what happened last season with baker and that offense also the quietly the defense which nobody talks about sort mm-hmm. of like that defense really that d-line should have been a lot better on paper but mm. that offense in particular i think it's been really difficult to sort of divvy up the blame pie mm-hmm. um and i don't think like what baker mayfield to go to have that kind of regression and accuracy, not just from his rookie season, but also in college, is just so wild. And um, it's the kind of thing where you you want to blame OBJ, who maybe was hurt, but then, you know, you want to blame the offensive line, but maybe actually they weren't that bad. But then when you just watch the tape, Baker screwed up a lot, right? Yeah. And screwed up in sort of, in retrospect, wildly predictable ways. So I'm very curious to see how much coaching can fix there, um, as well as like a, you know, an actual right tackle. And I think 
it's also interesting because I don't think we know exactly who Kevin Stefanski is because it was so commingled with Kubiak in Minnesota. So we look at everything that Minnesota offense did and we're like, yeah, great. Let's boot, you know, Baker out, run a lot of 12, but we don't know if he's going to do any, like we don't know, you know, what the plan is. So I'm curious to see how it plays out because on paper it should, it could be good. Yeah. I I like to root for Stefanski only because basically everybody that's met him will tell you how great of a person he is. Mm -hmm. Just like a, you look at the, you look at the the same thing. Well, yeah, of yeah. course. But you, you look at the decisions like he's made, you know, you know, hire, you know, who he's hired and who he's right. put in positions of power. And then one of the really interesting things about him was he was he had three games as an offensive coordinator before he was a finalist for a head coach job the following offseason. Right. Like last yeah. this past spring wasn't the first time people were interviewing for him for a head coach. So there must have been something that he was doing not as a play caller for Minnesota that, you know, was giving people head coaching vibes. I think with Cleveland, you've had such poor culture there for forever. And you might Mm -hmm. not be able to solve that with the ownership and the way that that all goes. But he does seem, you know, he and Barry just seem like guys that I think when you look at, you know, good people running an organization, like I'm willing to at least give a little bit of extra uh, a buy potential there. I wonder if there was something, Baker is such a, he reminds me of, like guys that you meet in college who are just like a frat star, you know? And um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying like, I don't know. He gives off that vibe. And I, I, wonder... I know that from playing, I mean, from playing, I mean, I, I would in oh, college, really? I, I had four <laughs> offensive coordinators in four years and not all of them were good. <laughs> and I do know that you interrupted year, me for this. The year that we had an absolute garbage offensive coordinator. Yeah. Every single time we had a three and out, the people were blaming him. And I'm and and when that gets in the water, it's just dysfunctional from X to infinity yeah. after that, right? right? So, like I think, as you said, Mina, in high, it did look predictable, and it did look like he just didn't buy into the situation. And I wonder if he's that kind of front runner, and that might just mean that he's not going to be a good player, but it also might mean you just put him in a good situation, and he can be okay. Yeah, I like, mean, my, my counterpoint: what if he just he thought it was easier than it than it is? You know, what if he was like, hey, I had some success Mayfield. here. Yeah. And he, he was like, you know what? I've, I, I'm i here. I, I just need to be me and I'll continue to be good. It, so I have spent time with him and uh, I did a story on him last year. I think it was the last uh, ESPN, the magazine. And oh, wow. it's, a, it's not a take. It's a profile. But the cover mm. is like Baker Mayfield has Cleveland back. And I'm like, yeah, that one did not age super well. Um, but still time. He, I, I, I talked to Lincoln Riley for the piece and some of the people in the Browns building, and you didn't get the sense that it was like a matter of not buying in ever necessarily mm-hmm. or wanting to do his own thing or freelancing or what or whatnot. Um, but what you saw last season was almost like what the people who hate Russell Wilson but don't actually watch him thought he was or something mm-hmm. like you know some of the um mechanical issues and compensation and the drifting mm-hmm. you know yeah, to yeah. The, the stuff the short dudes do honestly yep. is something that really came into play and I think a lot of that is born out of a lack of trust maybe not a lack of trust in the receivers a lack of trust in the offensive line and yes a lack of trust in the coaching so if he can regain that trust we saw that you know from all of his literally all of his previous seasons, um, he has the tools to you know actually 
pull it off and play at a high level. So we'll see. And to your I guess. point about uh, Stefanski slash Kubiak, you know, Cousins had a lot of pockets where he could step in and show his arm poten- arm yeah. strength yeah. And, and deep ball potential last year. You wonder if those play action plays will put Baker in such a situation where the drifting won't be even an option for him. Well, I thought it was interesting. I was um, doing something on on the Browns and I looked at um, the play action passing game for both those teams last year. And the really interesting thing about Cousins, he just had all day. He averaged like 3.6, 3.7 seconds off play action. Baker Mayfield was at 2.6, which is below league average in general, which is hilarious, Mm. and and was by far the lowest in the league. Now, that could be partially him, like just running into pressure and having to get rid of the ball, but it could also just be poor coaching. I believe, too, with Kirk, um, he had the most play action passes where he booted mm-hmm. in the NFL by, by, by a mile. Lot. Like he turned <laughs> yeah. into Joe and Montana inc- and left, left incredibly left successful man. Like it's last yeah. year. Dude, if you pulled the split, like if you just look at it, like when he booted to the left, he was like the best quarterback in NFL history yeah. last yep. year. It was, it was so very with, Matt Ryan, 2016 ask. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, there's some tree connections there yeah. um, with the Shanahan's, but it with Baker. Yeah. Even, they did run a fair amount of play action passes and he was obviously more successful doing that than I don't know, like if the Delta was bigger for him than other quarterbacks necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. Like sometimes you have to like go beyond and like dig into okay, well what kind of play action passes were they? What kind of protection did he get and how quickly did he release the ball? And I think that there's things Stefanski can do even within that context and within like, you know, maybe if he introduced more RPOs to make life a lot easier for him. Rank um these three teams for this season the bucks the cowboys and the oh, packers no. uh now, cowboys I, bucks packers oh wow have you seen aaron Rodgers' recent clip i that's scary a little bit he's a tequila guy now i am not underestimating the, the spite factor i think it is real i think it is fabulous yes um but I also think those other two football teams are a lot better. Not a lot better, but better. The Cowboys were like a 12-win team dressed as an 8-8 eight eight team last year, right? Yeah. Like it Wait, was, I'm sorry. Yeah. Did you put, who'd you put first, Bucks or Cowboys? Cowboys. Cowboys, Cow- Cowboys. Okay. I think that's kind mm-hmm. of a hot take. Cowboys over Bucks? Yeah. I don't. The, the Bucks? No, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying I disagree with it in any way, shape, or yeah. form. I'm saying like people are so in love with the Bucks right now. It's, are they? It's incredible. Yeah, I think the market's are they still not? like. Am the I cow- living in an alternate universe? I so feel the, like everyone just thinks the Bucks are going to be great. Cowboys over nine and a half is minus one fifty. Bucks is I think a little less than that. But I, I believe be the Cowboys have a lot easier have an easier well, schedule, right? Right, right. Bucks over nine and a half is my, minus one forty five. So it's slightly they're about the same in the marketplace. Okay. I, mean, I think the Cowboys' offense will be better, and the Bucks' defense will be better. And the Bucks defense was actually fairly good last year. In fact, the fact that Jameis threw 30 picks and they won seven games was mm. kind of a testament to Todd Bowles, who's always been good. <laughs> but they're, but they, they ran it back, basically, right? They added, uh, what's the name, the safety, Winfield Jr. But, you know, Shaq Barrett's not going to have that kind of year again. Yeah, and they did a great job drafting coverage guys last year. You know, Murphy Bunting, uh, White. So. Yeah, oh, that's fair. Sean Murphy Bunting. It's a good name. Like Clyde Edwards I, Lair. Yeah. You know the um the show The Good Doctor, the yeah. main character's name is Dr. Sean Murphy. So whenever I see Sean Murphy Bunting, I always think about that. 
you know, that, we're so blessed show? now because I've never seen it. Back, I, neither have I. See the, the previews. <laughs> back in the day, the only players with three names were terrible back quarterbacks, <laughs> like uh, Billy Joe Holbert. Yes. <laughs> I I remember the only reason I know the good doctor is one time I tried to record a show and it ended up like the timing got messed up and so it recorded the good doctor and I was so mad and so I'm like going Did you, you know, watch fa- it though? I'm spite. fast forwarding through it hoping that whatever I recorded shows up and it's just good doctor the whole way through. It's very unfortunate. Um all right, some some quick hitters here. Um who's the rookie you are most excited to watch in 2020? Jordan Brooks. Joe Burrow. No, it's a dumb, lame answer. No, that's the correct answer. I, if you were um, going to say Clyde yeah. Edwards-Hilaire, we were going to I, I, um, I, so we, I, like I said, we just did the AFC North with Aaron Schatz, and I was really, I, I think the Bengals' offense is really interesting because they have a arguably top, bottom five offensive line in the mm-hmm. NFL. Not arguably, like yeah. pretty clear to me. Would you be willing to argue with Bobby Hart about it? <laughs> Dog. And um, but then, like low key, a very cool and exciting skill group, yeah. right? I, no tight ends, but still. Um, so Zach Taylor is in a really interesting pickle, which is you have these awesome. We'll see how AJ Green looks, but it's a pretty cool group. You have this quarterback who, you know, is one of the best prospects in years and operated a sort of pro-style offense at LSU, but then there are a lot of things they did there that he can't do with this offensive line, like all that shit out of empty, right? Yeah. How do you do it? I think it's like a cool puzzle to solve. The, the Bengals in week one are plus three, plus three and a half against the Los Angeles Chargers. I feel like that's, a, that? I feel like that's a really good... If you're if you're thinking Burrow or Burrow is going to start against Taylor Stan, Numa Oh, that's Uno. right. I forgot about that. You know, like Wait, are you, are you... Hmm? Uh, you know that's like my thing. I'm right. Tyrod no, no, I'm, t- I'm saying you are. I'm oh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I, no, no, not I, me. I, I was giving you full. We call him. We call him. We call him Ty God. First of all, me yes. and Sam Monson. That's like our thing. Yeah, but you can um, have it. Well, what if they if they start <laughs> uh, Justin Herbert over him? Would you bet the Bengals there just despite you know they're just, not going to start Justin Herbert over like Anthony Lynn. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, what would you do if you were Zach Taylor? Like, what kind of, you know what I mean? Like, given those parameters. And by the way, uh, Bosa and Ingrid are just going to absolutely d- d- yes. destroy that offensive line. I, Poor Joe Burrow. They're in a really tough spot in L.A. with the Chargers because that team is actually good, Yeah, you know, in most places. And I would go with Tyrod just because it's sort of like the – it's sort of like the Bills were in that early part with Rex Ryan, where it's like you got a lot of you got some good football players on your yeah. team, and you if you start like the one the, when they when they finally were like we're going to fire Rex Ryan, what do they do? They start EJ Manuel, which is basically the white flag. If they start Herbert, like it's it's a white flag, and I don't know if you can go to Chris Harris, Bosa, you know, Engra, like all those football players on that team that are really good. Mike Williams, Keenan yeah, Allen, Hunter Henry, you can't wave the white flag that early. The, you asked a really good question about Burrow. It's one that I haven't thought of, but I think just uh, off the cuff, what I would do is I would try and leverage his athletic ability, which I don't. I think it is talked about, but maybe you know we just kind of write him off because he's such a prolific passer. But I would put him on the move. I would try and mm-hmm. leverage him in the run game. I would make the defense have to worry about him as a runner, certainly, because I think he can do that. And uh, you know, he's so damn accurate that. You know, and you have receivers that can hopefully get open quickly. The, the, people forget this. The Chiefs run more quick game than anybody. Yeah. Like, you can do that and still have a big play offense. And to me, that would be 
That would be exactly what I would do. I would take Tyler Boyd in every single fantasy draft (laughs) because he's going to put up numbers like Justin Jefferson did at LSU out of the slot. And he's already a thousand yard receiver. He's so good too, yeah, and, and, nobody, and he like Justin Jefferson. It's like I think Tyler he's really Lockett. Ins- like no one knows who he is, and then it, he's amazing. It's, I mean, it's the Bengals, but you know when you had AJ when he became the ostensible number one there, you really saw. I think not just like that he's reliable and quick, but like much like Justin Jefferson, um, who you know was so deadly on those option routes with mm-hmm. Joe Burrow because they kind of mind melded. I think Tyler has that same like his feel for zones and space is really elite. Um, so him. Green, um, T. Higgins, budget AJ Green, T. Higgins, yeah. Justin, or, uh, I, I should really stop calling uh, him Justin Ross, Green. right? Is the Wazoo John Ross, Washington, Washington. who, if you can buy Joe Burrow three seconds, John Ross can get all the way down the football. True. Field. Now he can't catch the ball so. after that point, but yeah. he had a good game in Seattle <laughs> week one. It. That was a pretty good game. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and here's the other thing. I mean, they do he almost won. <laughs> they do get a first round pick from last year who is an offensive tackle, like, you know, that helps a little bit. I am all in on the Joe Burrow train. Are you buying into the the hometown Bengals this year, Joe? The way that he carries himself, he's just a killer. (laughs) I just, I believe he's just such a killer. Okay, I thought this was the nerd podcast. You're like, the way he carries himself. (laughs) No, no, I am He's just got that kill. He's a winner. (laughs) So I am the biggest fraud in that I will literally (laughs) write a guy off based on his Instagram. Or sign in to buy into a guy based on yeah. his Okay, so let's ask Mina this question because this is a good question. I, maybe we asked her at the Super Bowl. I forget. I'm old. I, I can't um, think that far back. <laughs> Jimmy G or Kirk Cousins? As a quarterback? Yeah, you, you both are free agents. You have to decide between them. You can pay them the same amount. Kirk Cousins. My God. See, George would write <laughs> Kirk Cousins off because of... I think either the the affirmative on Jimmy G's Instagram or the or the but lack of self awareness on Kirk's Instagram. I don't know. Kirk is actually a great example of the intangible thing, though, because his entire career, every statistic, you can, like any every rate statistic, right, with a large sample size, says he's a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. But I just know. He's gonna fucking blow it, and and it's <laughs> not you. like, it, but it's it's well, you know, Jimmy G. I mean, come on, come on, the Super Bowl, but the, the, oh. you can't. It's it's it sucks because it violates like all the nerd things I believe, right? Like every statistic, any way you dice it. I mean, there's you know some that aren't great, but Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. But three to four games a year, he just implodes, yeah, and he's I gonna take a I, knee when he's supposed to spike the ball or something crazy like that. <sighs> Whereas or, at least no, Jimmy think, looks cool when he throws it right to Brashad Breeland. Let me put it this way. If I so if I'm in the Super Bowl again and I have a ten point lead and I have Kirk Cousins or Jimmy G, and both of them have a past of blowing it in these situations, I am so much more confident that Jimmy G will believe in himself and that the players will believe in himself versus the Kirk Cousins side of things where I expect the world to just like cave in yeah. on them. And that's, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like baseball used to be, right? Where, like, you would say, okay, this roster construction can win 100 out of 162 games. Mm-hmm. But, like, mm. in the playoffs, the A's never were able to yeah. put together – or, the, you right. know, the Twins were never able to win a, play, a playoff factor. game with Joe Maurer. Kirk, Kirk Cousins is very A-Z. Yeah. yeah, but then – but you're saying, like, I want that it, – it's sort of back to the Jamal Adams deal where, like, I want the high-variance players in the playoffs and – like, that's the thing that you're not getting with Cousins. Although he played really well against New Orleans. 
Isn't it, by the way, isn't it crazy how we as a society have just forgotten that the Vikings kicked their asses in the playoffs? Everyone's like, yeah, New Orleans is so good. Their roster is so deep, yeah. top to bottom. Vikings, eh. And, and I, I believe that, but then it's like, that happened. I watched it happen. Um, Cousins, I just think, is so good in structure. And I think when things start going wrong and play action isn't working, he can self-destruct. Yeah, he, he's had some outliers, like, you know, came back against Denver from 20 yeah. and stuff, but it is just... I, I feel much better about Jimmy G's ability to throw quickly um, than, than I do Cousins. <laughs> um, that quick twitch, that quick hip movement. It's not just all in the face. Um, all right, this is... Uh, <laughs> that was a quick answer. We're really nailing this quick hitters uh, part of the podcast. Um, I, I do want to ask you a little bit about... Um, like your career, because I find it really fascinating when people are able to come on and share some knowledge. And I remember when I was younger in my career, I would listen to podcasts with people who's like their path. I respect. I want to hear what they have to say. So what's a piece of advice that you might give to someone? There's probably a lot of people out there right now who are thinking about their careers. Maybe they don't work in sports right now um, or in sports media in particular, Mm. but wants to. What's the advice you'd give them? Well, I guess it depends what you want to do. Um, I think for people who want to be writers or analysts or just cover football, the best thing you can do is just become an expert in a team first. Uh, and I think we've seen a lot of people go that path and, and just kick ass, right? Covering Mm -hmm. a certain team. My friend, Danny Kelly, who I know from when he started covering the Seahawks is a great Mm -hmm. example of that. Um, for someone who wants to do what I wanted, what I do, which is, you know, talking about this stuff on TV and the radio and that kind of thing. Um, you just really have to over-prepare at every venture. <laughs> and um, I say that as someone who did zero preparation for this podcast. And, <laughs> uh, and these days, that's it changed. Shows. But uh, I know, <laughs> really. Um, you know, when I first started, my very first radio show at ESPN was doing fantasy football. I used to come in with like 50 pages of totally unnecessary notes <laughs> and probably used like one and a half of them. But the performance of it, the confidence, that kind of stuff, that comes later. But if you have the knowledge and you have that foundation, um, that's ultimately what ends up being the difference. I, I've seen not in myself necessarily, just, but also other people as well. Well, I think you bring up a great point in that like your preparation for things you know, later on in life are almost always years before. You know, I, I, sure. Every single time we've been on a show, it's like I used to – yeah, like five pages of prep. And now it's just like, oh, wait, I got I to gotta call in five minutes. Okay, I'll go on. It's like, well, we took years of crafting that to get to just do something more or less effortless. Uh, and that, you know, I think that's a really good point. Well, your day is prep. But yeah, <laughs> the, I mean, the, it's a really good point. I see Chris, what Chris does for Sunday night. And um, I mean, the over preparation that that whole team does just to be ready for anything. Um, is insane because what you'll get remembered for is the one time that anything happens and you're unprepared and you look like an idiot. <laughs> you know, when, when Samson Ebukam happens to be on the field and has to make a play and you don't remember how to say his name because you haven't rehearsed, you know, I don't know. Rest Tell in peace. Anyone. Rest in peace. Don't take shots at the network, okay? I love, I miss Booger already. Um, that, although that's going to be a, a fun little, uh, little booth. I, okay, this is my last question. Is, sure. Is Dan Orlovsky really like that in person? Like what? Like his Twitter account? Um, I, I, he has takes, so yeah. and he runs them by me and bounces them off of me. 
Um, Does he ever give you about... like a like a, an, a, 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 an ability to abort them? Like just yeah, like actually Dan Orlovsky. When was this the, the Newton signing? I remember when it happened, he felt some kind of way, and then I inundated him with my opinions and um, my views of, you know, the 2018 North Turner off his lot. And a day later, he was like, yeah, you know, you said this, this, and this. He's like, yeah, you changed my mind, which, by the way, is pretty fucking rare sometimes with dudes in our industry. Um, he changes his mind all the time. He listens. He learns uh, and has always been an incredible teammate to me in that way, um, in that he is... He just, he loves football, man. He loves getting into it and going back and forth. I think most, like most things, most uh, of that back and forth would be a lot more fruitful if it happened the way we do it than it does on Twitter. And I think that's true of literally every human being on Twitter. Um, Very few good discussions happen there. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. I have a lot of great you, discussions there. I mean, I even I told Mina that I thought a running back was was good the other day on Twitter. No, Which, I, oh yeah, can we? Can I expose him? I, look, I, I thought it was a safe space, but I brought it up. Go ahead, please. T- uh, Eric told me he thinks Chris Carson is good. Oh my god, he is good at fumbling. Um, it is. It is. He is. He does fumble. I love Chris Carson. Not, not great. I, I took. I took running backs he's in a redraft. Yeah, I take Carson in every draft. Uh, he he's he is as of the running backs that are out there. He's up there. He's no Alvin Kamara, who by the way, another guy who just based on his appearance, the persona that he carries, the swagger that he has, is in a league of his own. <laughs> he's very cool. He is. He's a very awesome. cool dude. His everything. I can't appreciate a guy more than when I appreciate his style and his workout ethic, and he has both on point. And it's incredible. That's, that's, that's why you like me so much. That's exactly it. Um, all right. Uh, do you have any more questions? I was, I was going to ask her what her favorite L.A. restaurant is because I miss them. But she said she doesn't even George, like George, we can't inject so, the fact that you're from L.A. every single yeah, time we record to. this show. I ask everyone about it and out too. I know. It's, it's... I, I feel like I totally shut down your food line of questioning. Like compared to like Robert Mays who was willing to indulge you for like 30 minutes. We'll, we'll get you there. Well, and well, Brett Coleman was just like he just said, like drinks. For here, us. Here's my here's everything I know about food All and right. drinks when, now. When COVID, which Mina's rooting for apparently for some reason, destroys football, and we have to do the food podcast, it'll be like a lovers of food and non-lovers of food, and it'll be like you know we're going knocking on doors trying to convert you, and so we'll bring you. No, there. I don't. It's not that I'm not a believer. I just haven't been evangelized <laughs> to yet. I'm. I, I'm what mission trips are for That's when it true. comes to food. That's true. We'll get you the uni caviar toast and uh, we'll go to Jean George. will be good. Mina Kimes, this was fun. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Big thanks to Mina Kimes. She's she's fantastic. And the best part um, that I think about Mina Kimes is that she is so knowledgeable about the game, but also like gets how to talk about it. You know, you have some of these yeah. people that come in. It's like I've been studying the game forever, and then you ask them a question. 20 minutes later, you have no idea where you started. That's not the case with her, obviously. Yeah, she's great. And, and uh, you know, obviously a Seahawks fan, which both of us can appreciate yeah. being fans of teams, but but very, uh, you know, objective about her favorite team and, and just, you know, extremely knowledgeable. And I, what I really liked about the last, you know, two months worth of episodes is, you know, we think very similarly about football and we get to bounce these ideas off people who are very smart and think a little differently than we do. And I think it's been a lot of fun. And, and you know, 
she doesn't think the Seahawks are the third best team, which I, you know, I'm a little bit higher on them. If you surround yourself with like-minded people, no matter how smart they are, you're losing. And um, so I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, she gave some good advice too for people yep. trying to break in. So on uh, our next podcast this week, we will hopefully have a little pass rush versus coverage debate with a former NFL pass rusher and coverage player. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we'll probably record three on it. one. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so we're going to record probably late Wednesday. So stay tuned for that. Uh, if you haven't listened to Robert Mays and Brett Coleman, go back to last week. Those are fantastic. Thanks for tuning in. Peace out.